Hey, do you mind putting your hands together real quick? I'm glad to be here. How about you? Come on. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Easter at City Point. Hey, there's going to be some people joining in online later this week. Let's welcome all them too. Fired up that you're here with us. Hey, my name is Tony, and I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I am thrilled, thrilled that you joined us today. Uh, the truth is, we really believe this. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, or what's been done to you. You're welcome right here at City Point. It's the reason why we created this church, is to be a church that really doesn't matter who you are, what your story's been, that you can come and look for God right here at this place. Um, the truth is, if it's your first time here today, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for coming and checking it out. I understand that trying out church is sometimes a little uncomfortable, so for the next few minutes, I just invite you to kind of just, you know, take it easy, just sit back and enjoy the rest of the service. But a little bit of a question to break the ice. How many of you are big-time fans of these guys on the side screens? Let's hear it real quick. How many of you are Cubs fans? Anybody a Cubs fan? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty fun. Uh, I actually, I don't really like baseball that much, but it was really fun watching the Cubs play because I found out that one of the players named Anthony Rizzo looks a whole lot like my brother, Ryan. Check this <laughs> resemblance out. You didn't know that you were coming to church and we had a superstar, you know, here, and uh, Anthony Rizzo, Ryan Whittle, same guy, you know, but uh, just an absolute blast. But the thing I love about Cubs fans, and if you're a Cubs fan, you'll appreciate this, is that you know how to hold on to belief even through years, and I'm talking hundreds of years of drought, you know, like you just hold on to belief that someday you'll have glory. You know, someday you might reach the pinnacle. And obviously we know that last year that happened for you. And I just love that. Cubs fans are some of the fewest ones that can hold on to belief for that long. If I can make a transition real quick, I'd like to ask you a similar question. What do you believe in? This Easter, uh, you might come in here with different beliefs, but what do you hope for? Cubs fans, every single year, whether it's a six and five start where they're at right now, they hope for, you know, a, a World Series to, to come their way. But I wonder what you hope for. What do you believe in? You know, what do you kind of wake up in the morning believing in? For some people, it's fate. It's karma. You know, some people, it's, you know, chance or luck. Other people really believe in themselves. You know, I believe in myself. I am a hard worker. I believe in myself. Other people believe in a higher power. And even there's probably a, a group of us here today that would go, you know what, I don't believe in any of that. I, I don't believe in nothing. And the truth is, I think if you believe in nothing, you actually believe in something. But all that aside, the truth is, I think when it comes to big-time beliefs, big-time beliefs, I think what always is associated with them is some sort of doubt. Some sort of doubt. I can actually think to every major decision I made in my life, uh, all the big scale, you know, every one of those decisions at some point in time has had a little bit of doubt come with it. I think back to when I was looking for a college, I'm not sure if you remember, you know, being in a college search, you might be here and you might be on that road right now looking to find out what college you'll attend, what university you go to. And I remember picking one and going, oh, I'm not sure, you know, and then I had to choose a major, not really being sure if I should choose, you know, which major I should go to. And then it came to a career. You go, good grief, I got to make a career choice at 21, you know, for the rest of my life, give me a break, you know. And I started just having all these doubts, like, am I cut out for this? Am I cut out for what God wants me to do? I mean, big time decisions, big time beliefs that we put our hope in oftentimes have doubts come their way. I think of where you're going to live, you know, who are you going to date? I mean, good grief, the doubts that come around that. Who are you going to marry? Some of you guys brought a spouse here today and you're going, yeah, I have doubts every morning when I look over the bed sheets, you know, like what am I doing with this person, you know? You just doubt it. I mean, every single major decision we have, there's doubts that come our way. Think solely about around the area of kids. I mean, 
Good grief, me and my wife have four kids. Every single night I go to bed, I wonder if I'm gonna wake up alive because I have to wrestle four little girls to sleep every single night, doubts all the time. I remember uh, thinking about this, like, can we afford kids? No, you can never afford kids. You know, <laughs> can I handle the stress? No, you can never handle the stress. That's why Walmart exists. You know, just take your kids to Walmart. You can freak out on your kids there. Everybody does, you know? and like. And you just, you know what I mean. They're just, I feel like that's a parent rule. You know, like, all right, don't worry. If you need to freak out, just go to Walmart. Just do it. It's going it's to be okay there. They have a helpful smile for you. And so, but I just was thinking back to when we only had two girls. I was working out one afternoon, and the truth is, you stop working out when you have three, but I have two, and I was still in the rhythm of working out, enjoying kind of exercise and stuff when my wife showed up to the room that I was working out in, and I could see it on her face that she had bad news. She was kind of tearing up and, you know, just looked mad, like PO'd at the world, you know, just interrupted me, turn off the video, you know, and, and so I pressed pause, and I'm like, whoa, and just real, real quick, guys, you know, when your wife shows up, you know, stone face, just don't say anything, just like, just sit there, yeah, just tell me, what, what should I do? Should I get mad? Should I cry too? Just help me know what I'm supposed to do. Well, she then broke the news to me that she was pregnant with our third. And I'm like, again, I don't know, should I be excited or not? Like, you're crying, I don't know if it's nervous tears. And she just goes, I'm completely overwhelmed. I just don't know if we're gonna be able to handle it. And I'm like, okay, good clue. All right, I was like, yeah, me too, you know, like me too. I just, I know, yeah, I'm like, thanks for the clue. And, and I just remember having to sell my Pontiac Grand Dam because three kids don't fit in the back of a Grand Dam and just going, oh, we have to graduate to the SUV and like just having all these doubts come our way. Because again, I just wasn't sure if we were going to be able to handle life. Here's a picture of our four daughters now, and they are just so great, so great. They're four of them, five years old and younger, so it's just a whirlwind around our house. And I'm telling you what, every single day of our lives, we have doubt. We have doubt. And I'm just telling you, on Easter Sunday, we come together and place our belief with millions around the globe that there is a risen Savior, that Jesus died three days ago, rose this morning, and that we celebrate the fact that he's risen, that there's a resurrection. And the truth is, that's a big-time belief, isn't it? Like, it's almost about as big as, like, Cubs fans believing it's going to happen again someday, that they're going to win again. It's the belief that Jesus did this. Now, of course, there will be some doubts that flood our way. See, the truth is, again, with every major decision that we have, every kind of big pivotal thing that comes our way, there's doubts that come, and that's okay. It's just okay. For some of you who are going, yeah, I, I feel this tension in my life all the time, I just want to reassure you that some of Jesus' closest followers had doubts. They had doubts. They didn't really buy into it. They, they struggled with belief, and their, their belief that Jesus would come back to life was shattered when they saw Jesus you know, be killed and crucified on the cross. And then I just say it. Some of us struggle with this belief in Jesus. Maybe we're here and we're going, I don't know what I believe yet. And I just go, it's okay. The ones that followed Jesus closely, spent three years of their life with him, struggled with that very same thing. Now again, I'll just remind you that millions of us gather today, we really do believe that Jesus rose again. We sing about it, we celebrate it. And the truth is, if Jesus didn't rise again, Christianity would crumble as a whole, just as a whole religion, as a whole kind of spiritual way of living. And listen to what Paul says about this very thing in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17. It says, if Christ had not been raised, then our faith is useless, he says. He says, if it, 
If the resurrection story didn't happen, then our faith in Jesus is actually useless. We're dead in our sins, but Jesus has indeed been risen from the dead. I love that. He's going, if, if it didn't happen, then we are toast. There's a guy named Peter. Some of you maybe who grew up in church know the name Peter. Peter's a, an apostle. Peter is kind of the big name. Peter bolts in everywhere, kind of draws a sword, you know, big guy. He spoke days after the resurrection in Jerusalem saying, I can't help but speak out and tell people about the very thing that I've heard and seen. See, the truth is the resurrection, it wasn't just a good idea. It wasn't just a philosophy, a story that we tell, you know, once a year. It was an event that actually happened. It was something that took place. It was a it was an actual time and event. It was in history. It was something that happened. Jesus died and he rose again, yet there was doubts. Some of Jesus' closest followers struggled to believe it. One of them's name was Thomas. Thomas struggled so badly to believe it. And you would too if you were Thomas. Why? Because Thomas saw Jesus get beaten. He saw Jesus get led away, get whipped to the point of almost dying. He saw Jesus lose the majority of his blood. He saw him suffocate on the cross, saw him shove a spear into his side just to prove that he was dead. And I think Thomas, if he was like me and you, he's going, dead people just don't come back to life from that. Like, That's a pretty bad way to die. I just don't think he's coming back. Thomas doubted. And that's okay. Jesus is big enough to handle all of our doubts. And all the other disciples were in the same boat. You actually can find this story in John chapter 20. It's the resurrection story. Mary Magdalene was one of the first ones to show up to see the empty tomb. And just so you know, her first thought was not, let's get out an Easter bunny, Jesus is risen. Her first thought was, somebody just stole Jesus. I don't know where he's at. (laughs) Who takes Jesus from a grave? You can find her story. Starting off in verse one of John 20. Listen as I read the side screens. It says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Mary saw that Jesus wasn't in there and it broke her heart. She thought somebody had stolen Jesus and so she goes running to find some of her friends. She goes running to find Peter and John. It literally goes on to say she goes running to Peter and John and says, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. We don't know where they've put him. And she's panicked. She's totally distraught and she's begging these guys to help her out. And so Peter and John, we read, they bolt. They go sprinting towards the tomb because they've got to see it for their own eyes. Literally verse four says, both were running, but John outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now time out real quick in the story. I put that on there on purpose. I'll leave it here for a second. I find it fascinating that the guy who wrote the book, John, wants to make it very clear that he has faster foot speed than Peter. <laughs> it's like total guy move, isn't it? Like 2,000 years later, he knows I'm reading this out. He's going, just make sure everybody knows I, I, I'm quicker than Peter. I mean, I do this all the time. I just justify my own pride right there. But the verse goes on. Peter finally shows up in verse six. It says, he went into the tomb, saw the linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Peter sees that the body is gone. John sees that the body is not there anymore. And what kind of confuses them, the scripture says, is they saw the, the burial clothes, they saw the linen lying there, and they're going, what'd they do, take a naked Jesus? Like, what, what's the point? I don't really understand. And this confused them, guys. 
They would have stood there at the tomb looking at this going, what is up with that? Why in the world would somebody do that? And the reason why, this maybe doesn't confuse us so much, but they didn't have Bed Bath & Beyonds pumping out you know, burial clothes. And like, they didn't have Walmarts where you could just go buy this stuff. This was handmade, expensive stuff. And so if a robber were to come and take the body, they would for sure have taken the clothes too because they could have sold them you know, in the market. They could have sold them as you know, just a trade somewhere else. It just puzzled them so much that John sat there a little bit longer and started to just think and ponder. And then the scripture says, that a light bulb goes off in John's mind. John just has this moment where he goes, no way. Listen to what it says in the next verse, in verse eight it says, John saw and he believed. Friends, I'm telling you what, he had doubts. He wasn't sure, he had spent some time, just panicked, you know, not sure what he was gonna do, races to the tomb, sees it there, is puzzled by all this, and I'm telling you what, it wasn't just the linen that tipped it off to him, it was three years of seeing Jesus heal the sick, do miracles after miracles, watch him predict his death, see it go through, and then remembers that Jesus said that he would rise again where the light bulb just goes off for John. And he sees, and he believes. Sees and believes. Now, Mary is still outside the tomb. She is totally distraught, like I told you. She's not really sure what to do. Again, she thinks that the grave has been violated, that somebody's stolen Jesus and just ditched him somewhere. And so it's not a shocker that when Jesus appears to her, she's confused. She thinks he's some sort of gardener. He says this in verse 15 to, to Mary. This is Jesus talking. He says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? She doesn't pick up on it, she's too, just in a frenzy. And she responds back to Jesus, sir, if you've carried him away, you can almost hear it in her voice, sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. She's so heartbroken. Now Jesus responds back with one word. And I find it very fascinating, he just tells her her name. He says, Mary. And friends, I'm telling you, Jesus said it like he had always said it to her. He said, Mary. And Mary got it. For John, he had doubts. He had to see and believe. For Mary, she had doubts. She had to hear her name. And I wonder how many of you are in the room today and you're going, man, I would love to believe in this resurrection. I would love to put my faith, belief, and hope that there's you know, life after death, that there's an eternity in heaven waiting for me, but oh, I just struggle so much. I go, it's okay. John struggled. Mary struggled. For some, it takes seeing to believe, experiencing something. Maybe that'll happen for you today. You saw something, even in the music, you felt that, and you're just going, what was that? Maybe you're like John, and you're going, oh, I needed to see, and your belief is starting to take root. For others, you're like Mary. You need to hear your name called. Where Jesus says, hey, Tina. Hey, Sarah. Hey, John. Adam. Ryan. And Jesus speaks your name. And the very same thing that drew Mary into putting her faith in Christ is the very thing that Jesus wants to do to you. Speak your name. See, some see and believe, some need to hear their name, and yet others need hard evidence. That was Thomas's story. 
Thomas's story is that he just needed to see it. Now, Jesus shows up. He shows up to the disciples as a whole, but Thomas wasn't there. Uh, you can you really hear what these guys experienced. As they saw Jesus, they go, oh, Thomas missed out. And so in verse 25, they say this, we've seen the Lord, but Thomas said back to them, no way. You haven't really seen, he's just doubting. He, can't, he cannot put it together. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the, where the nails were, touch his side, I won't believe. Thomas is basically saying, unless I see it, touch it, forget it, I can't buy it. I cannot believe it. Thomas needed evidence. A week later, the scriptures say that they were all together this time. All of the disciples were with each other when Jesus shows up. Thomas was there this time. It says this in verse 26, those doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them. He said to Thomas, love this, he says, hey, Thomas, would you put your finger right here? Would you see my hands? Would you reach out and touch my side? Stop doubting and believe. The Bible says that Thomas responds with five words. Five words that forever changed Thomas's life. In verse 28, five pivotal words. He says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. What I love about Thomas is he doesn't, after he sees, after he gets the evidence, he doesn't say, you know, my teacher, my prophet, my good idea, this philosophy, this, this way of living. No, no, he goes, he ups the ante. He goes, if I, I have what's in front of me, I'm letting my doubts go away. He says, my Lord and my God. John saw something and believed. Mary heard her name called and believed. Thomas needed hard evidence, got it, and believed. And John concludes this chapter with, with two verses. He says this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs, and these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Love that last line right there. Leave it up on the screen for you. Says that by believing in Jesus, you may have life in his name. Life in his name. In John 10, 10, a few chapters before, I won't put it on the screen, Jesus describes that when you have life with him, you can have life to the fullest. So if I can ask another kind of big question, how's your life right now? How's your life? For those of you who have you know, chosen to put your belief in some other place, maybe again, maybe it's luck, chance, fate, maybe it's another you know, belief system, I'd say, how's your life without belief in Jesus? Because Jesus claims it himself, you see it throughout the pages of the Gospels, that people, when they had Jesus, they experienced life to the fullest. Do you have hope, purpose, joy, faith? Do you have forgiveness and grace in your life? Do you have purpose? Do those words describe your family? Because those are the very words that Jesus wants to have for you. It's the very story that Jesus wants to have for your life, is for you to have life and have it in his name. How's your life lately? Friends, I'm telling you what, I needed that. Late in high school is when I accepted Christ as my savior. Did I have doubts? You better believe I had doubts. But I'm telling you what, it's when I saw life change, when I saw the need of life change in my own life that I said, I gotta bring my doubts in all to Jesus. And he took me, all of them included, and allowed me to bring myself to him. 
I'm telling you what, for me, life change canceled out doubts in my life. The more I saw life change, the more I just said, it's gotta be true, I gotta put my faith, belief, and trust in Jesus, and I just wonder if that's something that you need today. Life change. If you're taking notes, you wanna grab your programs, I just wanna share two final thoughts. Two reasons why I believe that each and every one of us should put our belief, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. The first one, if you're jotting downs, the first reason why, why this matters so much is your sins can be forgiven. Your sins can be forgiven. All throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there was encounters where Jesus had with people who were far from him. And he would tell them, if they would put their hope and trust and belief in him, he would say things like, your sins have been forgiven. And these people would just, a light would go off. They'd start to experience life to the fullest. They'd start to be forgiven of their sins and they'd start to break old patterns and be set free. And I'm telling you what, I wonder if you need to have that experience today. I think far too many of us in the room live life plagued, and I'm telling you, plagued by regrets. Regrets of our past, maybe even just yesterday, and you just go, oh, I don't know what to do with them. Some of you might regret for losing your temper with your kids, your son or daughter, and it's been years since you talked to them. And you just feel the weight of your regret. Others of you, you might feel the weight of offending a coworker, you know, severaging that relationship, and now every time you see him, you guys just kind of brush past, past each other and you just go, oh, I regret the words that I said. Others of you know what it's like to have given in to somebody and you did it again and again and again and you have such a weight of regret for those purity decisions that you made and you go, I don't know what to do with them. Others of you know the regret of a broken marriage or a relationship right now where you're just throwing jabs and you go, what am I doing? I don't know what to do with that regret. Maybe for you is damaging your family. All I'm saying is regret is no way to lead your life. It's no way. Jesus would say, I don't, I don't want that for you. I want hope, purpose, forgiveness, and grace to be your story. That's what made people drawn in so much. And unfortunately though, some of you, even as I say that, because this is not uncommon, would go, hold on, hold on, I don't need God to forgive me. I'm pretty good, I'm way better than Uncle Frank. You know, like I'm way better than him. You know, I'm way better than my neighbor. And the truth is, before God, we all need his forgiveness and he offers it to us. A Couple years ago, at a global leadership summit, listened to Pastor Bill Hybels share on this very thought of what it looks like for us to be in need of God's forgiveness. Take a peek at the side screens. Okay, so. Uh, I was sitting on an airplane next to a guy one time, and the guy finds out I'm a pastor. That's everyone's worst nightmare. So <laughs> he, he, he said, hey, uh, after he found out I was a pastor, he, he said, hey, we don't need to talk about religion because I'm good with God. I said, hey, I'm glad you're good with God. I'm not a very good preacher, and so the fact that we don't have to cover this is, is good with me. And he goes, good, because I'm pretty sure I'm good with God. I go, well, then, okay, fine. And a few minutes later, he goes, you know, I go to church twice a year. I give some money at the end of the year. Decent dad. I work hard. I vote Republican. I, I think I'm good, aren't I? 
I said, listen, if you're going to keep talking about it, do you have any interest in what the Bible actually says makes you good with God? He goes, well, I got some time to kill. Go ahead. So I took out a piece of paper, just wrote God at the top, reminded that God is perfect, absolutely holy. Okay? Then I drew a vertical line like this. So I said to the guy, hey, uh, you're, you're telling me that you're good and you're good with God. Are, do you mean that if this is a vertical line of how moral and wonderful and spiritual and you know, how upstanding you are, are you about this good? Like just bumping your head up against the perfection of God? <laughs> and he goes, well, you know. And I said, well, let's talk about good people. And Mother Teresa was alive at that point. And, and I said, who's the best person you know? He said, probably Mother Teresa. And I said, I've read everything she's ever written. And she says in her writings that she has deep regrets and she's disappointed God. She mouthed off to a couple of her superiors. She got in some fights with some of her sisters. And she, I said, I don't know for sure, but I think if Mother Teresa were going to put an X on where she is on this goodness ladder, I said, I think Mother Teresa would like put herself down here somewhere. I said, who else is good? And he said, well, maybe Billy Graham. I said, I actually met him a couple times. He does not carry a picture of me around in his wallet. But I, I said, I, he asked me one time to pray for him because he felt that he had disappointed God in, in some way. And I said, he's a very humble guy. I don't know for sure. I think he'd put himself on this vertical space a little lower than Mother Teresa, perhaps. Now, quick time out, uh, real time now. Any of you read what Pope Francis did the moment he found out, the new pope, do you read what, what he said the minute he found out he was going to be the next pope? Direct quote, I am a very sinful man that God has looked kindly upon. The pope, okay? <laughs> so maybe, you know, Pope Francis is, you know, somewhere. <laughs> so then I tell this guy, I go, uh, you know, I've been a pastor for several decades, and I would put myself, you know, south of Billy Graham. So th th if this is that whole goodness thing, I gave him a pen, and I said, put yourself anywhere you want on here. <laughs> so he puts himself just a little beneath me right there. <laughs> so then he goes, am I in trouble? <laughs> I said, well, here's the deal. If God's perfect, you see, you have a gap. You have a gap. And I said, here's the deal. And this is an amazing thing. God sees your gap and loves you anyway. And what God did was God provided his son, Jesus Christ. I said, no, this only take a second. But what God did is he took all of your garbage and mine and all these, and he transferred all of our wrongdoings onto the shoulders of Jesus Christ who died an atoning death for the sins of the world. And then he infuses his righteousness into our lives. And if you can believe this, he puts us in right standing with God. I love that. We all have a gap. If I could be really honest with you, my gap was so huge. And the minute I, I really understood that Jesus would love me, despite my massive chasm that I had, I said, done. I said, I gotta have you in my life. If you're willing to take me as I am, that's good news. In Acts, it actually says this, I love this. It says, everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of their sins through his name. 
If you were wondering, where do they get that idea that it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what's been done to you? Where does that come from? It comes from verses like these. Every single person is welcome to receive God's grace. We all have a gap, and that's why it's so pivotal that we make sure that everyone gets to hear about this. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of their sins through his name, his name, belief in his name. Why is it so important that you put your belief in Christ? Number one is because your sins can be forgiven. Number two, if you're writing this down, your life can actually be changed. Your life can actually be changed. That's the greatest news in the whole world, friends. Your life can be changed because of what Christ has done on the cross for you. Your life can be absolutely changed. We've seen it happen in so many people's lives. The hopeless have found hope. The burdened have been relieved. The broken have been made whole. The addictive have been set free. Friends, I'm telling you what, people who are lost have been found. There's been the loveless who found just love in Christ. I'm telling you what, their lives have been changed. And there's thousands Millions around the globe right now that gather around that single truth. They go, yeah, I had doubts, but my life was changed. And so I took the doubts that I had and brought them to Jesus, and he took me right where I was. The Apostle Paul, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, when someone becomes a Christian, when somebody, and we say, takes a step over the faith line, they move from their belief being in themselves to their belief being in Jesus. They step over the faith line. When they become a Christian, I love this, they become a brand new person on the inside, a brand new person. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. The scriptures, again, it says that when you become a Christian, you're brand new. You're brand new. I love brand new things, just so you know. They smell good, they work good, you know, brand new things just are good. The other day I bought a brand new grill, which is like man heaven, okay? A brand new grill. I grilled five times straight. Breakfast, you know, lunch, dinner, then breakfast and lunch again before my wife was like, get over yourself. But I just love new things. I love new things. And I wonder if you're here and you need a new thing in your life. See, Jesus, he tells us that he will give us new thoughts and new attitudes, new words. He'll give us a new mind. With Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. Let me just tell you one last time. Did I have doubts as a teenager? You better believe it. But I brought my doubts to Jesus because I knew I needed life change. I knew I needed hope in him, and I'm telling you what, now that I've been walking with Jesus, my closest friends have given their lives to Christ, and it's their lives being changed for Christ that just builds my faith, it builds my belief, and so I wanna just show you another video. It's some of the people right around here that have experienced life change. Check this out, and then I'll wrap it up. If you're Stop running If you're hiding Stop hiding If you're hurting Your healer is right here If you're breaking 
So today, yeah, you can give it up for those. Those are great. Totally great. I want to ask you again, how's your life right now? Easter 2017, could you use the gift of forgiveness of your sins? Leaving behind your regret and having the grace, hope, and love that Jesus offers. Is that you? Did you come here today for that reason? So that you could leave here forgiven? It might be you. Others of you, you walked in here, and without even saying it, you knew, my life has got to change. My marriage has got to be writing a new story. I can't let it go on like this anymore. Me and my kids, we gotta have something different. My life, the way it is, is leading to places that are no good. And you're going, today, 
I gotta experience life change. Friends, life change for me was the single reason I came to God. I needed to experience it. I had to have a different life. And I wonder if that's you today. If you're here and you know that you're a sinner and you go, I need Jesus, or if you're here and you're going, my life without him is no good. I can't have that be my story any longer. I wanna ask you all to stand with me and we're gonna pray together. Truth is, I think there's power when we pray together. We don't do this very often, but I wanna ask you guys all to pray this prayer after me. And I'd like us to do it as a church, as one group, it's a large church, but I think there's something real special when we say, hey, together, we wanna draw a line in the sand. Okay, for some of you, you're gonna pray this prayer and it's gonna be a prayer that you've prayed before. And others of you, you're gonna go, that's, that's me, I need to pray it and it's gonna be the very first time that you've ever prayed to receive Christ. But I would love it if you just repeat after me out loud and I think it's gonna be a great moment. You pray this, Jesus, here I am. Today I understand that I need you. God, would you take me, doubts and all? I've learned today that you do. That you offer life change. And today I want that for myself. Jesus, I pray right now that you'd forgive me of my sins and that you'd set me free. Today, you're my Lord and my God. Friends, that's the best prayer you could have ever prayed. It's the absolute best thing. Thomas prayed, my Lord and my God. And it changed his life. With all heads bowed still and your eyes closed, just wanna be able to celebrate with you for those of you who prayed that for the very first time, I would love it if you had a little bit of courage in these next moments and you just raise your hand on the count of three. Again, nobody else is gonna look. It's just gonna be a moment for you to go, that's me, I did that, I received Christ for the first time on the count of three. One, two, three, just slip them up in the air. That's great, you're not alone, I see you. Anybody else? Great, I see you up in the back. Awesome, I see you right here. Friends, way to go. You can peek up right now, everybody. Can we just give a big round of applause for everybody who did that for the first time? That's great. Hey, I wanna end with all of us just doing this together. We all prayed this bold prayer right there. And there's a song that is just talks about that. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the resurrection. Doubts and all, I just place my belief in it. And so if you would, sing it out with all you got. Band, take it away.